In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. And don't go gently, y'all. In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that'll draw both eyes and compliments. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tacova store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. We also offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. As spring makes its way into summer, stay cool in a short-sleeve moisture-wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tecovis's ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit Tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And don't go gently, y'all. It's the truth, even if it didn't happen. Ken Kesey. Absolutely. No, I, some four days was that I really wanted it. We we could do it. I could I had I created this the spreadsheet and then I calculated. Of course, there's the distance. I added in the vert. I added in how difficult that section is to trail and put a little multiplier in there. So I had the different checkpoints, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it was it was going to go some four days, which has been a full day. The record near as I could tell was five, and we wanted to take an entire day off that. And we got walloped by a storm on Tuolumne Pass. It just crushed. I mean, you couldn't even stay outside on it. They closed the pass, by the way. They closed Tioga Pass, the highway. And so we had to lay up for the night and just jogged it in the next day. So we came in at like four and a half days. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freaking Mirpod. Welcome to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Let's start off with a reminder. If you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute, help us out, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. All right. 
I absolutely love when one of my listeners reaches out and suggests a guest. And that's exactly what happened with this episode. A listener with the Instagram handle stat period trail reached out and pointed me in the direction of this week's guest. After tracking down his email, I reached out to the creator of the FKT, Buzz Burrell, and here we are. Welcome to the John Freaking Mirpod, Buzz. Thanks, Doc. Appreciate it. Do you get a lot of requests to uh, come on to, to podcasts? <laughs> well, I hosted my own, the fastest known podcast, 180 episodes every Friday at 6 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. But then we sold the business fastest known time to Outside Interactive. Then a week after that, I you know, I instinctually went on the website to see what was there. There was no one 181. The next week, next Friday, there was still no 181. Then they ran, re-ran one of the old ones. So it's kind of interesting. There's a quick transition here. But on that very first Friday, I was the guest on two other podcasts. So I'm kind of on the other end of the microphone right now, which is you know a little easier because, Doc, you had to do some homework. You had to prepare. You had to get it together. I now don't have to do anything. I can just sit here and have a good time. That's right. No surprises. I'm not going to ask you any questions you don't know about. So we're, we're good to go. Well, you should give it a shot, don't you think? I mean, <laughs> the listeners want to be surprised. They, you know, it's like I'm no Will Smith, thank goodness. But yeah, yeah, let's just uh, let's let it rip. Okay. And you know what? To, to that end, I do have a surprise for you right off the bat here. But Ooh. before before we get to that, I want to uh, I want to we go by trail names here on the on the podcast. I know that you uh, are known for, you know, trail running and, and endurance running. Have you ever done any, any trail work any, in terms of through hiking or camping or hiking? Yeah, I've done a lot of, yeah. Well, I did my first overnight, uh, backpacking trip in 1963. So I think I'm dating myself a little bit here by saying that, but yeah, I've done plenty of hiking, plenty of backpacking. Okay. And so is buzz a trail name? Or no, okay, no. I mean that'd be that'd be cool. I'd be very cool. But no, my parents named me Buzz at birth. Okay, for Buzz Aldrin, who was in the news. Uh, no, no, that now he was not. That was before he was in the. That was after he was in the news. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that, I'm an old guy, Doc. <laughs> I mean, you're kind of good job. You corrected yourself. You said, "Whoa, wait a minute. Who am I talking to here?" <laughs> right. No, not for Buzz Aldrin. <laughs> okay, so. Even though Buzz is not a trail name, it, it, it sounds like a trail name and it, it's a cool name. And so you're Buzz, I'm Doc. That's what we'll go with with the podcast tonight. Thanks, Doc. Okay. Have you had a chance on, have you had a chance to listen to the podcast, Buzz? I have not. I'm currently traveling. I'm on a two and a half week trip to California. So pardon me, I have not. No, no, no worries at all. I only ask because I want to make sure that you're aware of a regular segment we do. Uh, appears towards the end of the episode, and it's called the Pro Tip Inside of the Week. And that's where I will turn to you and ask you to share some uh, trail wisdom, some outdoor wisdom to make our listeners' next outdoor experience even better. So don't be surprised when we get there. Okay. Thanks for the heads up. Okay. Now here, here is the surprise. You don't know about this. It's time for a current event. Occasionally, I will, uh, I'll scan through the headlines and I'll look for something on the day of an interview and uh, a current event, let's call it, and kind of get your, your reaction. And I found something today in the headlines that I thought is like right up your alley. And it has to do with this year's Barkley Marathons. Yes. Do you, are, do you, are you aware of the Barkley Marathons? Familiar with them? I think the name rings a bell. Okay. 
So I, I, I <laughs> okay. He, he knows he, I can tell he knows. So this year there were no finishers for the, uh, the Barkley marathons. This is the fifth year in a row with no finishers. And for our listeners out there who are unfamiliar, I find this hard to believe because if they're tuning in and they've listened to me before, I, I, I talk occasionally about the Barkley marathons because I'm, I'm a little bit obsessed with that. But uh, if you're tuning in, you have no idea what the Barkley marathons are, is, and you think it's just another marathon, you're thinking, wow, there's no, there's no finishers. How can that be? Well, it is, it is one of the most unusual races you will come across. And so fifth year in a row with no finishers, it's been in existence for, I think, 30, 35 years. And there's only been, I think, 15 or 16 finishers in that time period. So I thought it was 15, but yeah. 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 And so um, Laz, Laz, the, Laz Lake, uh, Gary Cantrell, the, the creator of the race, he did something a little bit different this year. He started it three weeks early. Instead of it starting around April 1st, it uh, was closer to, I think, March 10th, I think it was. And he started during a weekday. I think it was a Tuesday start. And the field was mostly international folks who could not compete the year before because of uh, COVID restrictions and COVID issues. So it was a pr- primarily an international field, but uh, uh, only five runners started the fun run loop this year, which is the third loop of, of potential well, five. That's, that's more than the previous year. Yes, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Saying. <laughs> <laughs> now, Buzz, any, any interest at all, you know, uh, in, in participating in the Barkley as uh, uh, in your, in your history, do you ever no. get your curiosity piqued by that and say, you know what, that would be a lot of fun. No, <laughs> no, anyone who says that, I don't think quite grasps the concept. Uh, no, I was, uh, by the way, Gary Cantrell was on the fastest known podcast about six weeks ago. If you want to look that up. Oh, know, nice. He's an interesting guy. He's crazy. Probably one of the most unhealthy people you've ever met in your life and a savant. I mean, he's, he's literally brilliant person. He's, uh, of course, it's a very low bar, but he's the most creative person in the entire sport of ultra running. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he qualifies him. Mean, he's an amazing person. He, he's a dramatic thinker. So pay attention to what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Of course, there's the Barclay, as you said, Doc, but also there's Biggs Backyard Ultra, which I That's personally right. think will be his enduring legacy. Mm-hmm. Barclay has three movies made on it. You can look them up. Mm-hmm. They're very good movies, basically. But Biggs Backyard, I think, is going to be his enduring legacy. And he's, uh, he does something else. He doesn't think like anybody else does. But personally, no, I'm not into saw brush. I'm not into the mud. I'm not into the whole thing. I don't, I don't really like to suffer, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, it's I, a suffer fest. Yes, it is. I kind of mm-hmm. like to have fun. I'm sorry. It's, uh, <laughs> I, have a, I have a good time when I go out. Yeah, I've had a few folks. Uh, I've had a few competitors uh, in the Barclays who have come on the podcast and, and shared a little bit of their experience. And, you know, you're talking about world-class athletes, world-class athletes, who, you know, Mike Wardian, uh, fantastic ultra runner. And he ended up, you know, after one, I don't think he completed a loop. He ended up in a cave, uh, uh, suffering from hypothermia and trying to survive out there. I mean, it's just, just absolutely brutal. Right now it's, uh, I'd like to also point out that of course I used to run ultimate direction. That was my brand. And the last is it four or the last five people to finish Barkley have used the UD ultra vest. So that's kind of a minor little. So people want to finish Barkley. If you want to continue the tradition, you got to use an ultimate direction 
uh, Ultra Vest. And of course, we're talking about Jared Campbell. And then John Kelly used one mm-hmm. also. And uh, John, of course, went to the UK where he's just been knocking it out of the park, by the way. Mm-hmm. He's just been doing amazing, just insane things over there. So he established an FKT in the Pennine Way. So the expat Yankees, well, he can't call me Yankees from Tennessee. The expat American is doing well in the UK, and Jared didn't go back this year. But Jasmine Paris from the UK came over and been the first was the first woman to finish the fun run. And I forgot how many years in a so, decade, a decade. That was another one of my points. You stole my thunder. That's good though. Sorry. Nice. No, all good. All good. <laughs> the, the funny, the funny part to me was that only two, only two of the five runners who started the fun run uh, were able to start a fourth loop, Carol Sabe and Greg Hamilton. And to tell you how difficult it is out there, you you're not only battling the elements, you're not only battling the, the, the elevation, and time, you're also battling sleep. I mean, you are sleep deprived because oh, yeah. there is a yeah. time limit and it you're, you're going constantly. And so uh, to show you how bad it is, Sabe, he ran into navigation problems and ended up getting lost and asking directions from a trash can. <laughs> he found himself talking to a trash can and the trash can would not give up which direction he should go. And he realized, oh, this is a trash can. We could talk about Barkley forever because it is an interesting topic. I was somewhat dismissive, to be perfectly honest. But then Jared got into it. Jared really threw down. And he really informed me. So I changed my tune on it. I came to understand really what it was all about. And the way Jared described it to me is it's a next level type thing. You get to the place where you do not make a decision whether you're going to continue or not. If you're having to make a decision, you're out. You see what I mean? Yes. You need to be in this place of total commitment and a total letting go at the same time, which very, very few people can do. So the year before that, John Kelly finished, he started the fifth loop. He made it 400 meters up the trail and just did a face plant. But he walked out of that aid station. See what I mean? Mm -hmm. He didn't quit. (laughs) He didn't exactly quit. He didn't make it, but he didn't quit. And see, so that's that's kind of what it takes, I think. Yeah. I've only seen two of the three movies, so I need to find that the third title. I've seen uh, The Race That Eats Its Young and Where Dreams Go to Die. Uh, but I'm not well, sure hopefully, I'm not one. mistaken. Those are two of the classics, Doc. Yeah. Hopefully, I, maybe there is only two and I've forgotten about it. I don't know. Well, I'll do, I'll do my research. Deprived. Yeah, you, yeah, you do. Thank you. But those two are like watching a train wreck. You, you, you cannot turn away. It is, it is fascinating. It is painful. And uh, you just feel so bad for some of these competitors. So, The Must Bring Gear Review. All right. Hey, another segment we do is the Must Bring Gear Review, sponsored by the Ultralight Backpacking Gear Company, Six Moon Designs. And you and I had talked about possibly, you know, I wondered if we needed to alter this to uh, uh, modify the trail running or if you're okay with with backpacking or through hiking and and you indicated you have that experience. So I'm going to we're going to leave it with backpacking here. So here's how it works. If you were to let a stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear for a multi-day hike, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you've got a particular brand for that specific piece of gear, even better. So, Buzz, what is your must-bring piece of gear? First, I would throw everything out that they put in if it's generic and put in other stuff. But I'll answer your question more directly than that. Oh, it's the iPhone. It's a no-brainer. Sure. Because with the iPhone, you can navigate. 
you know, you presumably laid out your route on CalTopo. You've imported it into Gaia, Gaia GPS. And so you got this little blinking blue dot. You know exactly where you are. And of course, you can take photos. You can listen to music. You can call for help. You can connect it with your Garmin Mini or your Solio. So the iPhone is a easy, easy answer. Okay, that that took a different direction. You said you said you'd empty the bag out, and I, did, and I thought you were, this was going to be kind of a reference to your credit card adventures that we're going to talk about a little bit later. Where you you know you're minimalist, get rid of everything. I don't need a backpack. Forget it. I'm, I'm just going. Right. Correct. Well, you said generic, you see, as so I did. You said generic. There's like, eh. because, you know, if you walk into REI, you get that little piece of paper that said, do this, 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 you know, whatever those little 10 point lists are, I think are just bogus. I don't do any of them. You want to go to adventure Allen or Andrew places like that. That's, that's where the incredible uh, and free information is. So Andrew or Adventure Allen. Pardon me, but they're, they're free. So you might as well get the straight scoop. Absolutely. And we, we don't mind uh, name drops like that when, when you are sharing resources with our, with our listeners out there. These are great resources. It's the hiking pole. Another uh, a segment we do is the, something we call the hiking pole. And I always take time to explain the hiking pole. It's not the pole that you hold in your hand, P-O-L-E. It's pole as in survey. It's my creation. I think, it was, I think it's kind of a clever turn of phrase. I always take the time to point that out because my, my infre- infrequent co-host Chopper thinks it's hilarious that uh, the guests never react when I explain it to them. So you can, you can maintain that form. Right. Okay. So these are seven questions I'm going to ask to help me rank you on a scale from one to a hundred on the crazy scale with 100 being completely sane and one being absolutely bonkers. Okay. Okay. Do you have I'm any- not sure. I'm not sure what I'm aspiring to. Yeah. So should I be trying to get to a hundred or should I be trying to get to zero? So do you have any long trail experience under your belt? This is not part of the hiking pole, by the way, it's just background information. Mm-hmm. Like, have you hiked the PCT or no. the AT, no. you know, something over a thousand miles? No, I, I tend to uh, like six days, Six days, I'm good. Mm-hmm. Okay. I only ask because there's an automatic 20 point deduction if you are a long trail hiker, because you know you you have to be a little bit crazy to undertake that kind of venture. Well, you have to either be old or young. That's right. There's no one in between, right? You got you to have that, before that you flexibility. Get a job or after you've had a job. That's right. <laughs> That's kind of. <laughs> now I'm going to give you a score after these seven questions, but then as the episode goes on, as more of your your sanity or insanity is revealed. The score may change throughout the episode. So, okay. Okay. First question, trekking poles or no? Absolutely. Of course. No brainer. No brainer. No. Okay. The science and trekking poles is very clear. They really work. They add power. They add stability. You can fend off wildlife, wildlife, make it easier to cross creeks. And if you're pitching a tarp, you got to have them anyway. So yeah, of course. Buzz, that's a very sane answer. Oops. Hopefully that's good maybe it's bad all right boots or trail runners same thing boots are not a thing I mean, i've climbed aconcagua it's almost eight thousand i mean almost seven thousand meters high it's twenty three thousand eight hundred forty one feet high i was using trail runners you know i was a gore-tex uh trail runner and i put those little heat packs in it but boots are just not a thing i use crampons in my trail runners i use ice axe sometimes etc cetera, etc cetera. boots are not a thing in my opinion. I don't think anyone should ever use it, period. Definitive, Except for skiing. For, 
for skiing, you should choose them. <laughs> Definitive statement right there. And let me just take a little side path here because I've been on top of Whitney a couple of times, 14505, and the air is rare up there. I mean, I was I was moving slow up there. You know, you would you would walk 50 yards and then and take a you know a five minute break and then continue. What is the air like at 22,000 feet? A lot less. Yeah. So it depends on the climatic regime at that point in time. But if you're in a high pressure area, you're about 40% less oxygen at 14. So if you go above 23,000 feet, again, depending on your high or low pressure, you have a lot less O2 saturation in the atmosphere. But it's also El Viento Blanco and Aconcagua. It's windy, the, the white clouds so can be cold. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's not a lot of oxygen. All right, back to the poll. Your shelter system, tent, tarp, hammock, or cowboy camping? Bivy. Oops, I did none of the above. Hopefully that's okay. I mean, if, if, if I'm up in the winds, if I'm in some place where you, know, you get some serious weather, I definitely like tents. I like the security, the protection, things like that. Hammocks, I just, oh man, they're so uncomfortable. Can't handle that. Cowboy camping, I definitely have done that. Mm-hmm. If you got really good weather, but basically a bivy, you know, you're under 16 ounces. You need a, something underneath you anyway. If the wind comes up just for dust uh, and dew. Get a clear night, dew comes down, the bivy, you can shake it off your sleeping bag. So I'm a bivy guy. Sorry. Bivy guy. Now, the only I, I, I've tried bivy. I, I took that on a, a couple of trips. And when I ran into inclement weather in the afternoons, when we hit camp, we hit camp, I ran it and it started raining. I didn't look forward to getting into the bivy to get out of the rain where people could get into their tents, right? And, and kind of have a little right. space, but just kind of laying there in the bivy kind of drove me nuts. Correct. Right. So I do a lot in the desert. So that's a good uh, response, Doc, mm-hmm. because if I, like I said, if I'm going up in the winds or someplace like that, I use a tent because it weighs a little bit more. The hardcore people use a tarp, but gosh, if the wind blows, a tarp isn't that much fun. If you get mosquitoes, it's way not fun. So a tent to me is just fine. There's really mm-hmm. lightweight tents. But if I'm going out in the desert, I'm just looking at the weather report. You know, I get out, remember our first piece of gear, you get out the phone, forecasts are pretty good. And so I use a bivy, but like you said, if it's gonna rain, it's not happening. It's just gonna be misery. Yeah. And also uh, a pro tip of my own here from, from past experience, don't zip the bivy all the way shut at night when you go to sleep. Uh, I, I woke up in the middle of the night gasping for air and uh, I unzipped. I said, what is going on? You know, am I, am I sick? Is this altitude? What's going on? And then I read the label inside the bivy by, by my, with, you know, with my headlamp and it said, or my, actually it was my iPhone light uh, and said, uh, you know, do not, you know, danger of suffocation, do not zip up all the way. And I thought, how can someone make a product with it, that seals up all the way? And, and, you know, the intent is not to seal it up all the way. It's not childproof. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. Well, ultimate direction, we made a very cool bivy. It had these two ultra light hoops. So the whole thing just kind of laid down on your like regular bivvies, but over your face, you had these, this X hoop system. So mm-hmm. the UD bivy was world class, in my opinion. So you got around that issue. Nice. All right. Sleep system, sleeping bag or quilt? Quilts. 
I'm not opinionated, am I? No, uh, not at all. Okay, good. I just want to check in here. I don't understand quilts. You're, you're saving four ounces, and they're extraordinarily drafty. So a sleeping bag is by far the most efficient thing. Okay, you're gonna, you're sitting on top of four ounces of downs. Isn't that big of a deal compared with the draft? The quilt, to me, would be nice because it's more comfortable. You can roll around, and you can get a second person underneath it, which is a big advantage. But if that's not what you're doing, definitely sleeping bag. Okay. Now, this next question, very important, Buzz. This is where the biggest point deduction usually comes. So be careful here. Okay. All right. Uh, stove, cold soak, or stoveless? Gosh, I'm going to do my little nuanced reply. <laughs> Darn, sorry about that. But this is true. I'm not trying to you know, dodge the question or anything. But one to two days, I'm stoveless. Okay. Three and up, I'm stove. Okay. That's just kind of how I roll because one to two, I'm going to just take bread and cheese, dried fruit and nuts. I'm just going to roll. And as soon as it's too dark to see, I'm just going to lay down, right? And just eat mm-hmm. a bite of bread. Well, three days and up, three nights, I should, not days, three nights and up, then it becomes a little more efficient because you can get your freeze dried fruit a little bit lighter than you can just with uh, no stove, but cold soak, I don't, I don't do that, except uh, like granola rolled oats in the morning. But for dinner, I don't cold soak. Right. Right. So even in your nuanced response there with your various options, you avoided the big point deduction of, you know, I am totally a cold soaker and, and that is the best thing to do. I, I am not. That, that I, I think that is absolutely crazy. I've given it a shot. I've given it a legitimate shot and I, I just, I can't, I can't take it. So. Well, you could add wildcraft. That would be the, then you could get some major point to suck deduction. Someone said, I just eat roots and berries. You had to add that as one of the questions. That's an option. Yes. I need to add that as an option. Good point. You ever watch the, the show on the history channel alone? No. Oh, they drop these people out in the middle of nowhere. They're separate from each other. Uh, they, they're, they have to stay in their zone. So they never interact with each other. So that they don't know who's out there still and who's not. And the winner is the person who stays out the longest and it's, you know, all bushcraft and, and staying out there in the elements. And it's usually like in Canada somewhere uh, next to a lake in very extreme temperatures in the winter. And so uh, a lot of wildcraft there. A lot of wildcraft, a lot of, a uh, lot of something, a lot of something that I do not possess personally. Yeah. Yes. All right. Uh, finish the sentence for me. Life is better above or below the tree line? Oh, well, it's definitely better below because it's the reason it's a tree line because things die. So <laughs> it's inherently, <laughs> sorry, but scientifically speaking, inherent in the question, you have, you have to answer below. <laughs> Buzz, Buzz so pointing out so the literal. obvious. Sorry to be literal, but <laughs> I mean, that's why it's tree line because trees don't live up there but ordinarily i'd score that as a deduction but you you were so factually correct in your interpretation of that uh, of that question i'm not sure how to how to go on that all right now the american long trails the the pct the at the cdt they all run north south or south north uh should they be hiked northbound southbound or i always or- want to go i always want to go downhill <laughs> southbound we look at the map Right. You're going down. You're going downhill. So, yeah. um... Okay. Let me do some quick math here. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to carry going to carry the three. We're going to divide by two, multiply by pi and square root there. And it comes out to a solid 83 buzz. That's 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 really respectable. 
Okay. So I'm, I'm relatively sane. Relatively sane, but we, you know, there's a, there's a lot of episode to go. So don't worry. Okay. <laughs> All right. Hey, before we go much further, let's, let's uh, take a pause. Let's back up a little bit and hear about your background, where you grew up, uh, what kind of sports and hobbies were you involved in as a kid and how you got involved in the outdoor adventure slash trail running cult? Hmm. Well, I grew up in Kalamazoo, Michigan, which I'm happy about. Michigan's a great state. And then when I uh, graduated from high school, I applied to one school only. It was in Boulder, Colorado. So I went out to CU, University of Colorado, because there's a lot of Michiganders in Colorado because they all got they all love the outdoors, but get tired of the bugs. And so they move out west. So that's what I did. But I was in the Boy Scouts. I was a happy Boy Scout. I liked it. It's kind of not a thing anymore. You never hear about it, but we used to go out camping. And we'd get hatchets and, you know, hack away little things. And we'd swim. We'd row, row boats, and we'd canoe. And I loved the Boy Scouts. I really had a good time. Yeah, a number of folks we talked to kind of get their outdoor experience start with, with the Boy Scouts. And here in Southern California, where I am, you know, we have Mount Baden-Powell. Uh, it's one of the one of the summits down here in Southern California, named after the founders of the Boy Scouts. And uh, we have a number of, uh, I think, trails. There's like a 50-mile trail that some of the Scouts do as part of, you know, to earn their, their merit badges in the Angeles National Forest. So uh, still, still pretty uh, popular out here, I believe. Good. Glad to hear that. I mean, it's terrific. You're 11 years old and you're going outside camping. Mm-hmm. Now, I, when I was doing my research on you, I, I discovered what I what came across to me is a very Forrest Gump moment. Have you watched Forrest Gump? Oh, yeah. That's a great movie. Soundtrack. Yeah. Soundtrack. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> epic. Epic. But he has a moment where he, he, he's dealing with stuff and he decides he's just going to run. And so he runs cross country. I don't know how many times, but, uh, and then when he's, he's done running, he says, you know, I'm done. You know, he, he stops running. And the moment that, that reminded me of that when I was doing my research on you was this 1968 run you did from Kalamazoo to Lake Michigan. And you were, I think you were, uh, what, 18 years old? 17. 17 years old. I think so. Yeah. 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 That's a good one. Well, thanks for bringing that up. That's, that was, uh, Many moons ago, as we say, but that was a little bit of a Forrest Gump moment because it had this epic, it had this mythical quality to it. And of course, the Forrest Gump movie has extremely mythical quality. That's why it's so good. It doesn't have to be literal because it's still telling a story that, as Ken Kesey once said, it was true, even if it didn't happen. Ken Kesey quote. So I graduated from high school. It's like, what's up? I don't know what's up. I don't know what I'm going to do. I used to run and I had no interest in running in college and I had no interest in running competitively, even though I really liked it. And I wasn't really sure what it meant because there was no guideposts. There's no mentors. There's no magazines. There was no internet. There's no all, all kinds of things. So I was like, what's up? I don't know what's up. And so I had this affinity for the big lake, for the water, and I lived in Kalamazoo, Michigan, which was 40 miles from Lake Michigan. And I said, I'm just going to run to Lake Michigan. So I just walked out the door and ran to Lake Michigan and had uh, my girlfriend at the time drive there and pick me up. It was, 
I guess seeing today, <laughs> today's context is a little different because I didn't bring any food or water. And it was July. <laughs> so I just went, you know, 40 miles, 90 degrees, no food or water. But every once in a while, there'd be someone running a sprinkler in their yard. So I'd go over and get a drink out of that. But it's so hot, my bottom of my shoes got tar on them. So I had this half inch of black tar from the melting pavement built up on my shoes. But I made it to Lake Michigan. She picked me up and we later got married. But it was a, such a milestone, Doc, because at that point, and I think this is one of the epic aspects of running, that re- that point I realized I could do anything. You see what I mean? I was in high school. I graduated from high school. And with that event, just pulling something out of the ether and manifesting it, I felt free. I felt free because I was not bound by the constraints of the hamster wheel of I'm supposed to do this, 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 and that to get that, right? There's this life thing. You're supposed to go to college, supposed to get a job, supposed to do this. And I was just out of that whole hamster wheel thing. I could manifest my vision in the world. And that was very relaxing to me. I felt relaxed. I felt free. Nice. Now, had you done some running in high school? I mean, were you part of the track team or cross country team in high school? I was. Yeah, it wasn't that good. It's too it's too slow. <laughs> I mean, the longest distance was two miles. And, you know, I was like, dang, I'm just kind of getting going at two miles. So it turns out ultra running was helpful for me, but I didn't have any idea about that at the time. But you know, I I ran a four thirty six mile, but I, I wasn't very good. Four thirty six mile, and you were slow, huh? Yeah, I think I was. I was pretty slow. It's, I needed longer distances. <laughs> well, if you're slow, then I then I'm geologic. So, <laughs> all right. Hey, we're gonna take a quick break, Buzz. When we come back, we're gonna hear some uh, some adventure stories and endurance uh, feats of endurance um, from your past. So, stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water, using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going, knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. Six Moon Designs has been innovating ultralight backpacking gear for the past 20 years. With a wide range of products ranging from ultralight shelters to backpacks and accessories like their extensive line of trekking umbrellas, Six Moon Designs is sure to have a great piece of gear for your needs. With the company philosophy being that gear should aid one's experience, not define it, Six Moon Designs thinks the more time people spend outside the natural world, the better off this world will be. And remember, go wild, live young. Want to make a podcast? 
Spotify has got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your pod- podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. And welcome back. We are talking to Buzz Burrell and uh, heard about his, his Forrest Gump moment and his realization that, you know, being able to do something like that, he's able to do anything. And I think, I think that is what we hear a lot from some of our guests who do these amazing long hikes, who do these uh, ultra endurance events that, you know, there's something about being on the trail and turning back at the end of the day and looking backwards and seeing how far you've come and realizing the power of incremental progress and the fact that, you know, if you can do this, you can do a lot of things. Yeah. I realized, I realized that, I realized that wasn't a question, but you know, feel free to to chime in if you like. (laughs) No, it's, it's good. It's (laughs) interestingly enough, in a certain sense, the older one gets, the less one feels like giving advice because everyone's going to live their life. Right. So I think when you're young, you kind of get a little pushy. It's like, Oh yeah, I got to do the, at this point, it's like, yeah, you're going to figure it out. Everyone listening to this is going to figure it out. It's all good. (laughs) It's going to go great. Now in my, in my uh, research, I came across your hall of fame bio in the USATF. Wow. Good, good work. Thank you. Thanks. And I, I found, I found this, uh, I don't have a quote statement. It says uh, your running specialty is running what no one has before. Literally. Yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> I think, uh, like I said, I'm not fast, but I, I, I never really tried to be fast to other people. I just did things other people couldn't do at all. That was kind of where I really went. I, I really never quite self-described as a runner. I self-describe as an adventurer. That's essentially what I do. And I've always used numerous modalities of transportation to do that, self-transportation. So the last year I did four bicycle races, for example. I do. I got into surf ski kayaking. So I do occasional kayak race. Um, I've done climbing. I once competed in ballroom dancing. I've done snowshoe races, classic ski races, Nordic ski races. I once, I used to race Telmark through the gates for a very brief time. So I've just, I, I, I'm, I'm not particular. I just like to move with a degree of efficiency through natural landscapes. Uh, Buzz, I'm, I'm realizing something here, and that is that uh, we're going to have to have you back on because the John Freaking Mirpod is all about the advent, the outdoor adventure tree, and there's all kinds of different branches on the outdoor adventure tree. You know, through hiking, ultra endurance racing, those are just two different branches. There are so many other different branches, and you know, we're going to talk about some of your adventures here, having to do with you know ultra endurance and uh, uh, 
uh, endurance running, but there are so many other things that you just mentioned that I am so interested in. And I know that our listeners would be interested in. We're going to have to reschedule some, some, some more time later on if, if you're willing. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. Hey, let's, uh, let's talk about this thing I referred to earlier. I came across is, is called uh, credit card adventures. Yeah. And this was, I came across this, this, was it a run that you did between from yeah. Silverthorne to Boulder, yeah. which is about 95 miles. And it was, I think you nicknamed it a credit card adventure. What, what happened there? Well, this, this is perplexing because this is to me such a good idea. <laughs> it's so obvious, but you don't, you don't hear about it very often. I'm, I'm really surprised. And of course you do a lot with backpacking through hiking, et cetera, et cetera. And people right. are trying to, you know, pare down their weight, like, Base weight, you know, when I was a kid, it's always how big the car engine was. Then 20 years later, how big your CPU uh, unit was in your computer. Now it's like your base weight. And you want your base weight to be at eight pounds and so forth. But, you know, your base weight can be uh, a fifth of an ounce. You just, just, just take the Visa card. <laughs> so that's, that's really the lightest pack there is. And so uh, a friend was going up uh, into Summit County. And I said, hey, uh, can I get a ride? She said, she gave me right up there, just dropped me off. I just started to head back towards Boulder and it's really great routes. It's all pretty high mountains and come down into winter park and just whip out the little piece of plastic. Like I said, it's a fifth of an ounce that weighs a lot less than a sleeping bag in a tent. <laughs> you go in there, you take a shower, you kind of have to put the same clothes back on, which is a little funky, but then, you know, you go out and get uh, a burger and a beer and, having a really comfortable night and get their little free little donuts, their free little muffins and their crummy breakfast uh, last you. Then you just head back to Boulder, get back there by dinner time. So the credit card run, I think is a great, a very viable way to take a trip. It hasn't really caught on. I'm surprised. We, we've talked to different people about various types of challenges. Uh, as you're talking about the credit card adventure, I think if it's a credit card challenge, we've talked to, I think Mike Wardian talked about the state-a-thon where he would, he would try and cross an entire state through various means of, of self-propulsion, you know, whether it's bike riding or, and a combination of, you know, bike riding, running, swimming, whatever. And then uh, also uh, had a guy on from outside the outdoor channel, outside channel. And it was uh, his TV show was beat Monday. And he talked about the, the picnic. You heard about the picnic in uh, Jackson Hole? Yep. That's the original picnic. Yep. You bike up uh, from Jackson to mm-hmm. Ginny Lake, swim across Ginny Lake, climb That's the right. ground, come back down, repeat. <laughs> yes. Yes. Some some crazy challenges out there, but I, I like the idea of the credit card adventure. You are ultra light. There's no need to to drill holes in your toothbrush to get rid of the grams. You're just carrying, you're just carrying the credit card along with uh, maybe a rain shell. And uh, doing doing your doing your your endurance event and and checking into a nice motel somewhere in between, so makes sense. <laughs> it does too. Now you're not going to get off into a lot of wilderness, so there's a you know Utah that'd be a little harder, but yeah, it's it's really viable. Okay, and and you also have an interesting take on the rim to rim to rim hike. I think you have an alternate. I think it's a R two R two R dot alt. That you, all. you you've you have coined. Thank you. Yeah, that's a incredibly good route because I'd done rim to rim to rim before. It's one of the classic 
routes in the world, which is generally the south rim to the river, that's R to R, and then to R, the north rim, then back down to the river, then back up to the south rim. So it's a double crossing of the Grand Canyon and the north and south Kaibab trails. Outstanding route. It's terrific. And it works because there's a bridge at the bottom. That's the only bridge. And it got a little weird for a while. Like tour groups were coming in with buses and dropping them off at the North Rim. And people would run down and run across and the, and the bus would pick him up. And they, this just pains me to say this. And, and like they were littering. They'd drop a goo wrapper at the bottom. It's like, no, 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 you, you just, we don't do that. Right. And I talking to the Rangers, we're pretty good people, you know, and they're, they're like stressing on this. Like they'd have to rescue people who are ill-prepared. They didn't bring enough water. It's like, no, no, no. We, we just, this, this I, I get irked about this because it's outdoor users. We have to take care of ourselves. We have to protect the resource. This is the starting point. And they got a little crowded. They're talking about doing permits. And so I said, well, you know, there is another route that crosses the Grand Canyon. And it's the Bass Trail. It's the North and South Bass Trail. And it has almost the same elevation profile as the North and South Kaibab Trail. It's almost the same distance and vert. There's just no bridge. <laughs> so it keeps the riffraff out immediately. So I called it Rim to Rim to Rim Alt. And Peter Backwin and I did it. And it's... Uh, it's a terrific route. Just got to swim the river twice. So there's a little bit of issue there. And then other people went back and did it significantly faster. The Coconino Cowboys, Jim Walmsley, they went and did it. And then Rob Carr and Footy, Mike Foote from Montana, they did it really quickly. And Peter and I, you know, we, we were putting on really thin, lightweight wetsuits because the water's coming out from underneath the Glen Canyon Dam. The water's 54 degrees. And they, uh, they forego the wetsuits. He just jumped in and then they got an incredible photo of Rob jumping in wearing his birthday suit that I've always joked, if we need to do an ultra running calendar and he would be Mr. January for sure. It's a really good photo if you want to track this one down. At any rate, I'm very pleased with Rim to Rim to Rim Alt, but Anyone listening to this, don't say, hey, I'm going to go out and do it, because I do want to offer a serious disclaimer here. Sometimes you hear people, well, people like myself, kind of laughing and joking about risking their lives and doing wild and crazy things. I don't do that, just to be clear. I am a very risk-adverse person. I just kind of want to state this solidly here. There's many times I've turned back from trips because I didn't feel it was appropriate or safe. So it's not cool to get go out there and require a rescue. It's not cool to go out there and get hurt. So respect the environment, respect your abilities, please. I'm doing a little essay here. Hope you don't mind. And as Killian Jarnett said numerous times, develop your skill set and work into it. Get some experience, particularly in the big ditch, which I was just there recently. And I'm going to be back there shortly. It's a different environment. It's hot, it's dry, it's big, it's wild. And so work into the big roots gradually because it's, it's all about nature anyway. It's not about your ego. And so take your time and, and learn your environment. 
Great advice. Almost sounds like a pro tip. You're still on the hook for a pro tip later on. So don't think okay. you're getting off easy here, but let's, uh, let's go back to that river crossing. What, what kind of river crossing are we talking? How, how wide, how deep, how fast is the water moving? Kind of looks like your background there a little bit. No, it's a little bigger than that. That's in the Sierras. That's, that looks like granite there. So that's pretty thin. I take that back. Uh, the grand is, uh, of course, dammed up by two giant dams, two biggest dams in North America. I mean, in the West, uh, Glen Canyon and Hoover Dam, and it's above Hoover and below uh, Glen Canyon. So water's coming out underneath the Glen Canyon Dam, so it's kind of cold, if you see what I mean, because yeah. the cold water sinks to the bottom, and it's regulated. And so formerly, you used to have big, strong spring flows from the, the runoff, and then it was really thin by midsummer into the next spring. But now it's all dam release for hydroelectric generating. So there's a constant flow. So it's coming in. I forgot the CFS now. <laughs> I can't think of it, but it's way over your head. So that's fording is not a thing. That can't happen. Mm-hmm. And there's plenty of rapids. You really don't want to swim through the rapids. So <laughs> you need to cross at a place where it's relatively calm. There's still current, but there won't be rapids. Grand Canyon, the Colorado River in general, is generally what's called a pool and drop river. Is that it means there's side canyons coming down that occasionally flash flood. They wash big boulders out and they form this impairment to the river flow. And those form really strong rapids right at the side canyon. But backed up from that, it's kind of a pool where it's relatively calm, although there is current. And so you definitely want to swim across in the pool section and get to the other side before you get to the uh, rapid section, but you are going downhill, you're, you're downstream. And so you do what's called ferrying. If you go, you know, if, if here's the river, if you aim for there, you're actually gonna end up there. So it's kind of like a triangle. So you're gonna end up, you're gonna kind of want to try to aim a little bit upstream because you're actually gonna be going downstream while you're swimming across. When you come back, you want to hike back up forming sort of a triangle because you're going to end up at the same spot that you started from originally. But, you know, Rob and Footy did it fine with no wetsuit. They just hit it hard and they were all good. So you can do it. Very detailed explanation. I appreciate that. The, the aiming, aiming a little bit upstream and, and, and being swept a little bit down as you're going, that sounds like me on a Saturday night trying to get to the bathroom. So <laughs> I to- totally understand that. Well, uh, like I said, we, you know, I, I, one might present this cavalier, happy-go-lucky, fun attitude. People have done things with me know that actually on the inside, I research very carefully. I consider things that are very tactical and strategic. And that, oops, we don't want to give advice too early in the podcast. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. You can give advice throughout, but you're still on the hook for one at the end. So. There you go. All right. Hey, let's, let's move on. You, you, you alluded to it earlier with uh, your mention of FKT. Let's, let's talk about FKT, what that concept is, how you came up with the concept. And you, you are basically the creator of the FKT. I call myself along with Peter Backman, the popularizer. Popularizer. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a, it's a generic term. We don't own the IP on it. Right. And I think one of the reasons it instantly became so popular after we introduced it to the public is because it makes sense. You know, there's records running the Olympics. There's 100,000 people watching. There's officials with their little stopwatches. But in FKT, it's you and 
your Garmin and submitting it to the website, your Strava track or whatever your GPX file might be. But for when I got going on it is when Peter and I set the FKT and the John Muir Trail. This was the year 2000. And we researched the bejesus out of it. I spent like weeks trying to figure out who had the fastest time in this. I called up Jim Knight. Uh, I talked to Blake Wood. I talked to Tim Twitmeyer, all the people there. And it was really, really hazy. But one thing that came out quite evidently for me, Doc, is that when you go back, you don't get to a starting point. It keeps going. People have been doing this forever. <laughs> there wasn't the first person to go fast in the JMT. It's there's the first person you knew about. You see what I mean? Got it. And so at each stage of the game, it was the fastest known time. It was completely literal statement. And it, it made perfect sense. You can't, couldn't guarantee it. Now with the internet, I think things are a lot more buttoned up. Nowadays, people can do something, you know, in Nepal and Malaysia, and you hear about it, you know, 30 minutes later. But back then, somebody could have done something huge. You wouldn't find out until a year later, and only if three other people roundabout told you about it. So fastest known time, I thought, made a lot of sense, had a lot of logic to it, and it was honest. It was authentic. It represented what we were really doing. Right. And what was your, your time on the JMT? Well, Peter and I were going for uh, sub four. That's what we wanted to do. I had my spreadsheet and I and had for, all that. For our listeners out there, he's not talking sub four months or sub four weeks. He's talking sub four days. Absolutely. No, I, sub four days was that I really wanted it. We, we could do it. I could, I had, I created this the spreadsheet. And then I calculated, of course, there's the distance. They added in the vert. They added in how difficult that section is the trail and put a little multiplier in there. So I had the different checkpoints, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it was, it was going to go sub four days, which has been a full day. The record near as I could tell was five. And we wanted to take an entire day off that. And we got walloped by a storm on Tuolumne Pass. It was just crushed. I mean, you couldn't even stay outside on it. They closed the pass, by the way. They closed Tioga Pass, the highway. And so we had to lay up for the night and just jogged it in the next day. So we came in at like four and a half days. Oh, well, Peter went back by himself the next year and went some four days to the GMT, the first person to do it. Wow. That, that's incredible. I've, you know, I've spent a lot of time on the GMT. It is not easy terrain. Uh, I have some, some, some uh, friends that I've made on the podcast here, Gabe and Kevin, who met at the Moab 240. They were ultra endurance runners and they thought, you know what? Uh, we're going to run. We're going to run the JMT. And uh, Gabe's wife gave him a week, said, you have, a, you have, you, you can take a week off to go do this. And so they said, okay, well, there's no problem. We're just going to run the JMT. They got to the JMT and quickly discovered they couldn't run the entirety of the, of the JMT. Uh, but they did it in, I think, six and a half, uh, I would say five and a half days five and a half Good. days, six days. Um, and they, because they couldn't run it, they couldn't maintain that speed. So they had to extend their day. So they were, you know, it was getting up at two in the morning and, and hiking until, you know, 10 at night, but uh, they got it done. Was that, was that your approach as well? Or were you, were you, how much of, how much of the JMT did you run? We ran a fair amount of it. Mm -hmm. We were fairly fit. 
And the people who came before us actually were better runners. Like Tim Twitmire run one Western States 100 four or five times. I can't remember. Blake Wood is one of the best runners there is in anything. And he had come before us. But Peter and I brought something else to the table. We were very good in the backcountry. Other people were kind of fast packing it, which means they're, they're carrying a lot more gear than we were. And they were spending a little more time off at night. And, and moving maybe a little faster when they're on the trail. But Peter and I were comfy at night, we're comfy at altitude, we're comfy on technical terrain. And so we had greatly reduced packs because when it comes to, as you know, from through hiking and hiking, you want a, a low pack weight, but when it's running, it's times two because the definition of running is one foot, both feet are off the ground at some point. Uh-huh. So there's a lot of lift. There's a lot of up and down. So just an extra two pounds while running kind of gets to you. So I think that's what Peter and I brought to the table is not extra fitness, but being pretty solid backcountry people. So we could have a lighter pack and then we could use the relentless forward motion concept, which was later popularized, great effect by Brett Mone, who did set the record on it. Um, and coming in as a non-runner, people didn't believe him, which kind of relates to your podcast here, Doc. And I could get on and on about this, but generally speaking, top ultra runners get schooled on the long trails. It's not general. It's only like always. <laughs> I'm trying to think of when that didn't happen. It's, you know, it's the hikers. After a certain length of time, say seven days, maybe 10 days, the really good through hikers are faster than the really good ultra runners because the really good ultra runners are arrogant. Like your two friends said, Oh, I'm arrogant. No, they don't study it. They don't do the homework and you're really good through hikers. They're doing their homework. They're more studious. They're more methodical. And of course the person really turned my head was flying Brian, you know, flying Brian Robinson. Robinson. Yeah. The mm-hmm. first calendar triple crown, who I literally just corresponded with this morning because I'm in Monterey right now where he lives still. Super good guy. But uh, Peter and his wife, Steph, and I went out and did a day on the Continental Divide Trail with Flying Brian. We, during his calendar triple crown, we were like, oh, this guy's onto something. <laughs> right? I just love it when that I just love yes. it. It's not, see, he, just like I was saying like 30 minutes ago, it's not trying to do something faster is doing something different. He was out of the box that we were aware of. And that almost extends to this day. It's relentless forward motion. It's how many hours a day are you moving forward? It's not how fast you're moving. It's how many hours a day you're moving forward. It's the old tortoise and the hare thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, flying Brian would get up in the morning and just, of course, he was a tarp guy and he would just jam everything in. And 10 minutes after waking up, he'd be moving and he had this, his shorts with pockets and he just start eating dry granola while he's walking and noon he's just eating snicker bars. And so he's doing 16 hour days every day by himself. Right. And he's knocking down the miles. So that's an aside, but I appreciate people like that. Yes. And calendar your triple crowners. That's a, that's a rarer breed than Barkley marathon finishers. I think. Well, no, fifth- Flying Brian had the record at the Barkley. Yes, but there have there have been more people who have finished the Barclay than have finished the calendar year triple crown. There's only 13, oh, oh, only 13 you. finishers of the calendar year triple crown. 
Oh, good statistic. I love it. I love yeah. it. We're tying, the, we're tying the threads together here, aren't we? Because it's all Brian coming Brian did go back to Barkley, and Brett Mowney went back to Barkley, too. Brett finished Barkley twice. So, yeah, he's, it's a certain personality type here, isn't it? Yes. Jeff, Jeff Garmeyer goes by Legend, trail name Legend. He did the calendar Triple Crown, and he did the Barkley last year and was unable to complete a loop. Uh, just a different environment back there. Now, JMT, did you enjoy your time on the, on the JMT and your attempt at the FKT? Yeah, I did. How about, uh, I know you've had some other multiple, numerous other attempts of and, and, F, and setting the FKT in, in other, uh, other places, uh, Colorado Trail, Torres del Paine. Um, any, any favorites among those? Well, the ones that I didn't mention? <laughs> I get asked this question. I, I'm going to give you my little, it's not trying to be flippant. My favorite trail definitely is the next one. Oh, that's that is so Tom Brady. That is so Tom Brady. Tom Brady said his favorite his favorite ring is the next one. I didn't know that. That's good one. That's good. But I I'm sorry. People ask me this question, but gosh, yeah, it's uh, I. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm primarily an adventurer, so I'm looking what's around the next corner. Just last year, um, where are we now? 11 months ago, Peter Backwin and I did the Butte Fault Loop in the Grand Canyon. Kind of a gnarly route. It was was a little stouter than we expected. It's mostly off trail. And so we, we still like to get out there and do some fun things. And here are we are, March. In four, three or four weeks, I'm going to do um, either the Escalante Overland route in Utah with Peter, or I'm trying to actually convince him to do something different for us, really different. Section hike, which we've never done, the Hay Duke. I was going to mention the Hay Duke to you. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I've never even thought of that. It's like section hike, I don't section hike, but it's like, you know, this would be cool at my age to disembark on pieces of this and do it over the span of four or five years. It gave me something to look forward to and just give a, a rhythm to my life. And I own a house in Moab now anyway. And so I can slack pack it. I mean, to me, you know, George Washington, Hey Duke, the Monkey Wrench Gang, hopefully everyone knows who That's this right. is. Not. Yep. Better figure this one out. And this isn't like the AT. No, no, no. I mean, in the AT, if you set foot off the trail, you know, someone's you know, watching you on your live track. They go, hey, the guy stood off the trail. You know, it's, it's really buttoned up. And that's great. So that's how FKTs can happen. And it's PCT and the AT because it's a distinct trail. Hey, dude, no, 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 no. This, this isn't how I see it. I mean, just do whatever you want. I mean, that's the tradition here. Go out, enjoy the CP, the Colorado Plateau. You know, go into Escalante, drink some beer with the locals. Go into Boulder, Utah, which, which has the best restaurant in the whole state of Utah, by the way, run by two Buddhist women. And just, you know, enjoy the area. That's my way of looking at it. And the first part, the first section of it goes from Arches National Park through Moab, you know, over Hurrah Pass, et cetera. I'm just going to slack pack it. I'm going to get dropped off of there. I'm just going to run home, <laughs> take a shot, hot shower, eat some good food, and then go back to the trail and continue. You see what I mean? Yeah. You probably just need, probably just need your iPhone and a credit card. Right. I mean, <laughs> Of course, in the, in the world of FKT, I see all this. I'm, I see there's supported, there's unsupported, there's self-supported. People really get into this, which is fair. Mm-hmm. We need to sort this out. I'm totally down with it. But 
purity is sort of an interesting concept. Peter and I have both said this so many times. People are asking us, well, is this supported or unsupported? They always want to do it unsupported. It's like, do what works best. Do what works best for you. You know, if doing it with a friend or having your, your husband come out, have him come out. That won't make it unsupported, you know, because you had someone come out with you. But if that supports family time, that's to me more important. Sorry. <laughs> so do what works for you. And uh, if I do the Hey Do Concessions, that's certainly what I'm going to do. Nice. Now, we heard that you, uh, you sold FKT to uh, Outside Inc. Yep. And so what, what are your current endeavors? What are, what, are, what are you focusing on now? I'm becoming, it's like uh, uh, Hollywood Squares. Remember that TV show? Yes. It's like this celebrity. You're Paul Lynn. Right. Who's who's done something, but no one said, who is this guy? Apparently he's a celebrity. He must have done something, but I can't, I have no idea what it is. So I'm, you know, I'm just a professional podcast guest now. That's what I'm doing. Fantastic. You didn't tell me you're a professional. I have no money to pay you. I, I apologize. Well, okay. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll let it go this time. Okay. Whew. All right. The pro tip insight of the week. Hey, Buzz, you know where we are? At, you're going to ask me the trick question. I'm going to ask you for your pro tip insight of the week. What bit of trail wisdom or out that outdoor wisdom can you share with our listeners to make their next experience even better outside? Okay. Well, thank you. I, I, I'm happy to answer this. It'll be the same answer but kind of three phases of it is that okay absolutely (sighs) this is kind of (laughs) it's kind of meaningful to me so take care of yourself your community and the earth that's (laughs) that's it for me um you really have to take care of yourself you know particularly where I'm at, this becomes very, very important. You can have a training plan. You can do this, this, and that. But unless you have health, none of it has any meaning whatsoever. And then we all live together. We all share this earth. Courtesy is contagious. Be nice to the person next to you. Respect the person next to you. And lastly, the same thing for Mother Earth. I mean, we're all breathing the same air, all drinking the same water. So let's, let's please take care of what we've been blessed with. Everybody takes that pro tip to heart, then we're all in a, a better place. Outstanding. All right. So there you have it. That's it. This episode is just about in the books. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Buzz. Want to thank him for joining us this week. Buzz, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures? I tried looking for you on social media. I couldn't find you. I had, I had to track down your, your email address. Correct. I am not on Twitter. I'm not on Instagram. You know, it's, it's, it's a viable thing. Social media is a giant, huge happening thing. But the, the length of that conversation is a little frustrating for me. I sort of like to have longer conversations than that. I am on Facebook, however, and I post like once a month. So you can find me on Facebook and you can find me on Strava. Okay. The well, social media network for athletes. With a fair degree of self-consciousness, I will then say, uh, remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We are on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And if you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at johnfreakymirror at gmail.com. The Adventure Media Recommendation. Buzz, I'm also looking to you to share a recommendation for a book, a movie, documentary, 
some sort of, of outdoor media that's going to keep our listeners connected to the outdoor experience. We're calling this our adventure media recommendation. What do you have for us? Dang, that's a heck of a question, isn't it? You caught me a little off guard with that. The the movie that, in terms of media, <laughs> it's just, I, I guess it actually technically it is outdoor. Summer of Soul. <laughs> it just won the Academy Award for Best Documentary, but I, I I saw it at the Chautauqua Auditorium this summer, and it's the you know the Black Woodstock they call it. You got Nina Simone, you got Stevie Wonder, you got Sly and the Family Stone. So pardon me, I think these are epic people. I love singing Absolutely. and dancing. I like music, so I hopefully that suffices. Absolutely, Summer of Soul was that the poor documentary that was being introduced by Chris Rock? Yes, and he pulled it together. He did. He did. But Kudos there was a, there was, there was a yeah. bit of distraction. Before uh, before they receive their award, which is really unfortunate. That was Delusions of Grandeur by Will Smith. Uh, movie star thought you could get away with anything, and maybe will get away with it. But it was it was funky, in my opinion. Absolutely, I agree, totally agree. And I'll also throw out there because you mentioned it earlier. I'll throw out another recommendation that really made an impact on me. It sticks with me to this day, and that is the Monkey Wrench Gang by Edward Abbey. Yeah. That was quite a read. I, I think about it occasionally and, and some of the some of the scenes in that book and uh, really memorable. And of course, one of the characters is George, Hay, George Hayduke, uh, after whom the Hayduke Trail is named. So check yeah, that out as and, well. And I can't believe Robert Redford's never made a movie. The Mikey Wrench Gang It's just it's, it's so ready for that type of thing. But he also should mention uh, what he's best known for is Desert Solitaire. You know, which is a lot more serious book. Edward Abbey, I should say. Yes. That was when he was a ranger at Arches National Park. Okay, so we get we get a threefer. We got uh, we got Summer of Soul, we got Monkey Wrench Gang, and Desert Solitaire. Yes. Yes. Okay. What have we not asked you? And before we wrap things up, I've got just one more segment for you called "What Have I Not Asked You That You're Dying to Tell Us About." What do we miss? Dang. Wow. Well, I, you know, multi-sport <laughs> mentioned, mentioned a few sports there. I used to compete in beach volleyball also, but uh, dancing and I, I given a choice swing dancing is still one of the most fun things there is to do. That's uh, that, that's, that's the one that kind of comes out of the blue that not a lot of people talk about ultra endurance athlete and swing dancer. Nice. Well, that is a wrap from the John Freaking Muir studio. Any shout outs to friends and family buzz? Gosh, the community, you know, I had uh, the fastest known podcast, 180 episodes. And I, during the pandemic, I didn't feel alone. Maybe you feel this as well. Same, Doc. same way. It's just, I'm, I'm with friends. I'm just with this group of friends and I'm just so appreciative of this community. People are so nice. They're so warm. They're so attentive. And I am just blessed to be part of this community. So my shout out is everyone who's listening to this and specifically to you. So hopefully support Doc. 
you know, people sometimes like we sold fastest known time. So, oh, you've kind of sold out to this corporate interest. You should have kept it small. I said, well, did, were you donating? <laughs> you know, you vote with your dollar. And so please vote. And so if you like what Doc's doing, vote to support him. Then he'll keep doing it. If you don't support him, presumably he'll stop. That's kind of how the world works. So thank you for what you are doing, Doc. I appreciate you. Oh, thank you, Buzz. That the very kind words. I appreciate that. And I have to ask, fastest known podcast is, is it like each episode like three minutes? <laughs> uh, thirty to thirty to fifty, basically. Thirty to fifty. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna tune in. I'm listening to all to the back catalog. It's gonna be on my list. Okay. Excellent. All right. All right. Thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if you're looking to set the FKT on the JMT and a storm is rolled in. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck. Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! oh. Look at Ooh. that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. For even more content, be sure to watch the original films from HuntStand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more.